we say finds its meaning and takes its life from what happens at this table. I love that meditation that Paul gave, uh, and it's true. The message of the cross, it's foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who believe, it is life. Uh, this morning as I step up here to, to begin the message, uh, David and Jeanette have chosen to leave to, to be there and get uh, Janie to, to the hospital. And so I want to take a moment, if we could again, uh, to pray for them. But I also want to offer uh, a note of thanks as well. When the church is the church, uh, not only is the Lord pleased, but there's a sense of uh, encouragement as a minister. And when I see those of you that chose to set up to clean, when, uh, and you know who you are, uh, when I see those of you who chose to serve as part of the kitchen crew or cook for the last several meals we've had, and, and you know who you are as well, uh, that is a great source of, of hope for me in our fellowship and as a church family to see you being what God created you to be. And I just want to thank you from a minister's heart for all that you've done. But before I bring the message this morning, let, let's pray once again for Miss Janie. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, just a note of gratitude for the family you give us here, for the life that we have in you, and for all the things that we share in common only because of you. Lord, I thank you for the gift of Miss Janie's life and, and what she means to us. And as she goes to the hospital once again, Lord, I know she's frightened. I know she's frustrated. And she needs you to be her, her vanguard, her rear guard. She needs you to be the one to prepare the way before her. And for David and Jeanette and for Carol, uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide them to hear what needs to be heard from doctors, that the right decisions are made. And that, Father, you will bring her back to strength, to clarity of thought, and to a praise that we can give to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we have been in this series about relationships at school, at work, but especially in the family. And we called it Fixer Upper because just like homes need renovation over time, Homes will need renovation over time. And I've appreciated your feedback uh, as a preacher during the series. Some of you said, I'm sharing this with family, with coworkers, with friends that I know need to change. <laughs> and, and some of you have said, uh, it's hit some tender spots, maybe brought up some memories. And, and I appreciate you sharing that with me as well. You, you'll never know uh, how much I, I need to hear that. And today I want to finish this series, and next week we're going to turn the page and we're going to start that walk towards Easter together. But I want to finish this series today on the theme of paint swatches. The final stage of any fixer-upper renovation project is to pick out a paint and a color that can absolutely transform a space. Now, I mentioned before that Cheryl and I have purchased a home built in the early 70s. And it's got all the original stuff, the original colors. And when it came time to, to paint some of the rooms and to pick out the paint, uh, if you have ever stood in front of a, a color wall at Lowe's or Home Depot or at Walmart or wherever, it can be absolutely overwhelming. Uh, let's say, for instance, in your living room, you want to use a shade of gray. Do you know how many shades of gray there are? 
I used to think maybe there's light gray, medium gray, and, and dark gray. But oh no, there are more than 50 shades of gray, I can tell you. There's dolphin gray, there's marina gray, there's foggy day, <laughs> there's whisper, there's matchstick. And, and, and I, I love this because somebody has the job, they're paid to come up with these colors. And, and you could take a dozen of these things home, tape them up on your wall, and, and think about what color you know, is going to match our lighting, what color is going to match our, our furniture and our interest until finally you pick a color that looks just great and you hope they can re reproduce that color exactly 10 years from now when you need to patch up or repaint some spots. And you know, as I, as I think about those color palettes with all the variety, I can't help but think how different God made each of our families from each other. How different God made Cheryl and I from each other. How different my daughters are. I stand up here each week at the Springfield Church of Christ and I look out and I see just how unique and how different you are as a church family. And the different colors God uses. Some are short, some are tall. Some are younger, some, some are older. Some are sleepy. Uh, some of you are the rest of the dwarves. Doc, sneezy, and grumpy, you know. We, we've got grumpy people, and we've got coffee people and tea people. We've got morning people and night people. Uh, we've got quiet people and verbal diarrhea people. You know, we, we've got cat people, and we've got normal people. I mean, we've got it all here. And, and the same is true for our families. Just think about what it takes to make a family unit for a minute. Uh, in a marriage, you take two different imperfect people with different personalities, different backgrounds, different temperaments, different gifts, different family of origin stories and issues, different goals and expectations of, of what the relationship is going to be, and they, they blend it, they hope, into one bliss-filled relationship. Then you throw in an imperfect child or two, and, and you start looking around at everybody in your family, and you wonder, why can't everybody just be normal like me, right? And, and that's how it is in a family or in a workplace, or in a school, and even in church sometimes. And our differences can leave us saying to one another, I just don't get you sometimes. I don't understand you. I don't get how you are the way you are. For starters, men and women, we're different from each other. I mean, you go all the way back to the creation account. And if you would, open in your Bible in that to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. The Bible says there, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, men and women, we're, we're very much alike. We're both made in the image of God. We're both equally valued by God. We're both equally loved by God. There's a lot of similarities when, when you look at us, but there's a lot of differences, too, that go beyond the physical. You know, yes, we have different levels of estrogen and testosterone racing through our bodies, but we like different things. We like different movies. Men tend to like action, shoot them up, you know, Jason Bourne, Avengers-type movies. Women tend to like tender, weepy, somebody's dying of a rare disease type of love story, you know. Uh, we're different verbally. 
You see a group of women sitting in a restaurant and a group of men and how different they are. The men, if they say things, they say things in short phrases and grunt. Yeah, nah, LeBron James. Yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, you see a group of women having a conversation. It's and they're talking over each other and they understand everything that's being said. And we're just different, male and female. And our kids are different from each other too. In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, if you flip ahead in the, in the scriptures, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. And that phrase, the way they should go, it's literally according to their bent. And that's different for every child. The idea behind that verse is to be perceptive about how God has designed each in our family uniquely, each unique DNA strand in our kids and and helping them to understand their different gifts, their different abilities, their unique personality, each child to figure out their own God-given destiny. And it's a perceptive parent who figures out how each of their child is differently wired. The Bible says in Job chapter 10, verse 8, God, your hands have shaped me and made me. God formed you. He made you different than any other human being on the planet. He made you different from every other person within your family, even though some may share the same DNA you have in your body. And if we're going to get along as a family, if we're going to get along at work or we're going to get along at school or in any other relationship, we've got to learn to be grateful to God for the differences and celebrate our uniqueness that God built into us. Now, the times there are relational tensions that happen because of those differences. So for a few moments this morning, I want to talk to you about some personality differences. I want to give you four basic personality types, and some of you have heard these before, but I want you to figure out which one of these four types are you. Which of these four are your kids? Which of these four are your grandkids or your coworkers? Which of these four is your classmate or spouse? And then we're going to walk through, and we're going to identify each of these from Scripture and talk about how we can really celebrate how God created us rather than let these things drive us crazy. So here are the four different ones, and I want to first give you the clinical term, okay? And I know some of these are strange words, uh, but then I want to come and I want to give you something easy. I want to give you the image of an animal for each one of these particular personality types, and that's going to help you lock in and remember what these are. Now, the first personality type literally is called the sanguine. The sanguine, and the sanguine person Now listen, they're outgoing, they're gregarious, they're the life of the party. These are people that are full of joy, they're full of laughter, they love to tell stories of all kinds. In fact, they never let the truth get in the way of a good story when they tell it, okay? They're just that kind of person. And the kind of animal that I would use to describe someone like this is an otter, okay? And sanguine, aren't they cute? Sanguine people like otters, they can be playful, but they can be a little bit disorganized. Otters are kind of happy-go-lucky personalities. And I just want to ask, show of hands, how many of you think you're an otter? Raise your hand for me, please. 
Okay, only got a few of you otters here today. Uh, you're sanguine. Y you can be very playful, but again, you have a flip side. Otters have a dark side. You know, otters gone bad, Dateline, NBC, right? Uh, otters can be disorganized. They can forget appointments. In fact, they can lose their car keys, books, files for days on end. Sometimes otters can forget to pay the bills until the lights go out and then wonder why the lights went out to begin with. Otters love to be the center of attention, and they need applause, they need affirmation, so much so that they give in so much to what others think about them. That's the personality of an otter or the sanguine. Now, the second type of personality is what we call the melancholy. The melancholy, and these people tend to be deep, logical thinkers. They are people that are orderly and thoughtful, introspective. They're highly organized, and they have a strong work ethic, and they are very dependable. They're talented, they're creative, and they tend to do things the right way, okay? And the creature that I would put with these people would be the bee. Melancholy people like bees, they're thoughtful, but sometimes they can be a little bit predictable. They're cute. They can have a, a busy-as-a-bee mentality, okay? Now, how many of you think you might be a bee? Raise your hand for me this morning. Okay. We got a few more in the hive here today. Good. Uh, right now, if I ask that as a bee, you're thinking, who wants to know? <laughs> and, and the great thing as a bee is you can get things done. But there's a shadow side to that because bees can be predictable. They can be perfectionist. And the bee can insist that there is a constant way that things need to be done. And there is only one way that things need to be done. Uh, a bee can be moody. They can be cynical, sarcastic, critical. They can nitpick over the details. And, of course, the bee can sting at times. The third type, a person is called the choleric. Now, a choleric person is a person who likes to step in and takes charge. Maybe what we would call a natural-born leader. They're the ones that want to give me a challenge. Give me a hill to take. They're not afraid of problems. They're not afraid of taking the tough shot or making the tough calls. In fact, the bigger the problem, the better. Their favorite proverb comes from the book of Nike. You know, just do it. And if there's going to be an animal to describe this personality, it's got to be the lion, Okay. Choleric people like lions, they are take charge, but they can be controlling as well. They may not look ferocious at times, uh, but I'm curious, how many of you think you're a lion? Raise your hand for me. Now, I'm not going to let you be schizophrenic, okay? You got to pick one of these to kind of fall into this morning. Uh, if you're a lion, please don't rush the stage and try to take charge. This is not Pride Rock. I'm, I'm just glad you're here today. Uh, but, but lions are like bees. They have that flip side. They can take charge to get things done, but they can be very controlling. Lions tend to steamroll over people. They can put tasks ahead of people. They worry about the bottom line. They can operate in isolation, but they don't mind because most lions tend to believe that God loves lions more than all the others. Now, the fourth person in the personality is what we call the phlegmatic. I just like the word uh, phlegmatic. This is the kind of person who's, 
you know, don't worry about a thing. You know, everything's going to be all right, right? Uh, these are the people that walk around singing Bobby McFerrin or, or Bob Marley without all the extra stuff because they don't need the extra stuff. They're always, don't worry, be happy, and, and singing Three Little Birds. Uh, they, they love to go to the parties. They don't have to be the center of the party. They just got to be invited to the party. They love being around a lot of people, and they, they just love to be loyal. And the best animal I could ever choose for a phlegmatic person is the golden retriever. Everybody loves the golden retriever, right? Now, how many of you think you might be a golden retriever type personality? All right, just a few of you. Okay, that's all right. Um, you know, I'm surprised we didn't have more, but uh, as wonderful as a golden retriever can be, phlegmatic people like golden retrievers, they're loyal, but the flip side of them is they, they don't like change. They don't like risk, and they're change-averse. They're not really big on surprises, and they could be indecisive at times and, and unmotivated. They like to procrastinate. They like to lay around, and I wouldn't necessarily say they're lazy, but some would, and, and here's the thing. Golden retrievers carry the emotional weight of the world on their shoulders, they're extreme people pleasers, and they're the kind of people that have a hard time saying no. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do with those four basic personality types. The sanguine, the melancholy, the choleric, the phlegmatic, uh, whether you think you're an otter, a bee, a lion, or a golden retriever. Think about what happens when each of these different personalities get into a relationship with each other. Think about what happens when an otter and a bee get married to one another. They get together with some friends and the otter begins telling the story. Oh, it was last Saturday. Six of us went out and the bee interjects, no, it wasn't Saturday. It was Friday. And there weren't six of us. There were only four of us that went. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, there was a whole bunch of us the other day. That, no, a bunch would be a dozen. There weren't a dozen. There were only four. And you could just see the dynamics of what these two different personalities bring to the table. Or think about a bee marrying a lion. The bee comes home on Friday night. You know, tomorrow we need some family time. Let's just get up and let's just go to a state park. Maybe we'll, we'll rent some bicycles and we'll all go for a ride together. So they agree about going to the park tomorrow, but the details aren't necessarily described. But here's the thing about a bee. In their mind, they're thinking, we're going to get up around 8 o'clock. We're going to have a nice leisurely brunch about 10 o'clock. And then about noon, we're going to start for the state park. We're going to stop at maybe two farmer's markets on the way. Not one, not three, but two. We're going to get there. We'll spend about four hours there, and then we'll start the trek home. Now, again, that's all working out in the bee's mind, but they never share what the plans are with the lion. Now, the lion hears we're going out tomorrow, and the lion thinks we're getting it up at 8 o'clock. Okay, we're going to go straight there. It takes about four hours to get there. The last time we went this time, we're going to make it in two, okay? We're going to ride bikes. We're going to have a great time. We'll be home. And suddenly, there's conflict. Now, about the lion and the golden retriever. Think about them getting married to each other. In fact, this is the most common relationship pairing in a marriage. You know why? Because golden retrievers like to follow and lions like to lead. 
You know, they'll do whatever the lion wants to do. We're going this way. Okay, okay, I'm just happy. I just, I'm happy to go this way. It's like the old commercial, kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. And, and the retriever follows along. And until the day they get tired of looking at the back end of the lion. Okay? And suddenly they want to do their own thing. They want to go their own way. And out of nowhere, the golden retriever starts to bite. And it's a challenge in a relationship. Now, some of you are golden retrievers, and you're married to a lion. And you've had some little lions. <laughs> and some of you moms feel like you're living in the middle of the lion's den right now. And every day, the only thing on the menu is you. Your time, your effort, your work, your stress. You are just surrounded, and it's exhausting. So without doing a 100-question survey or giving a test right now, again, I want you to think. Which one are you? Which one are you married to? Which one are your grandchildren like? Or your children? And how are your children raising their little otter? Or their little lion? Or their little bee? Or their little golden retriever? Now, now, now let me show you where I'm going with this this morning. Let me make a couple of disclaimers about this. Number one, personality types, they should never be used to put people in boxes or used for ammunition. They should never be used as a weapon over them or as stereotypes and labels. You should never say, you know what, you're just a, you're a neat freak. You are a melancholy bee and that's all you're ever going to be. Or all you do around here is roar like a lion, like you're always the one that has to have your way, you're in charge, you drag everybody else somewhere they don't want to go. Or why don't you just get off the couch, you lazy dog, you lazy golden retriever. You see, that stuff should be off limits. There are never an excuse for those of us who possess a certain personality type to just excuse the way we do things. You should never say, well, that's just the way God made me to be. That's just how I am, and, and you'll have to, to love it or leave it. You'll just have to accept me. The goal Rather, is to know your basic wiring, to look at the multicolored palettes that God has, has dealt from and has used to make you in your life. And the goal of it all is simply to embrace who God made you to be. Now, I could stop there, and that's just a beautiful point. Embrace yourself as the gift that God created. Accept your spouse as they are, as the gift that God created. Children are a reward from the Lord, grandparents even, you know, and celebrate that you're becoming more like Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Psalms, in Psalm 139, verse 14, I'll praise you because I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Use your personality the way God intended for you to be. Embrace who God made you to be. Become more like Christ. You see, when you surrender yourself to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, he will work in you to produce life. You start to produce what your personality type is. And Galatians 5.22 speaks of the Holy Spirit producing this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. They just flow out of you because you're existing as God wired you up to be. And now that you're an otter, now that you're a bee, now that you're a lion or a golden retriever, you are one that begins to look a lot like Jesus because you're uniquely becoming the best version of you that God made you to be. You know, I love how the message paraphrase translates Galatians 6, 4. This is what it says. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. I have to humbly bring my best to relationships and appreciate that God has uniquely wired me and he's also uniquely wired all the other people in my life. And let me just say this uh, as a parent. For those of you that are brothers and sisters or that you have brothers and sisters, let me just say they're not like you. As a parent, your children aren't necessarily wired up just like you. Your siblings are not wired up like you. I have one sister, and some of you were here when, when she and my brother-in-law came through town, uh, but she and I are, are very much different, and I love her very much. She's very much my senior, but I remember visiting her everywhere she lived until recently. We spent holidays, and we made many memories in Poplar Bluffs, Missouri, and in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Kansas City, Missouri, uh, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and now she's down about 30 miles from Myrtle Beach in, in South Carolina, retired. I live in central Ohio. You know, she got the skinny jeans. I got the handsome jeans, right, and the smart, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, she was an x-ray technician, loved working in the hospital and in the labs. I am a working minister. We've lived in diverse places. We like different things. And if you looked at us, you would say, are you sure you two are from the same parents? Are you sure one of you maybe wasn't adopted? I think so. Mom? Okay, no, I wasn't adopted. Good. Um, we, we had a dad and a mom who realized, though, we had different personalities. God wired us up with different temperaments, different interests in our lives, and they brought out and encouraged that within us. Here's a verse that everyone should memorize. Romans 12, 6, it says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So what has God made you to do well? We are so diverse. As a church family, one is artistic, one is athletic. One is musical, one is mathematical. Somebody here is mechanical. Somebody else is a strong leader. One's a loyal follower. One may be a Cleveland Browns fan. One may have a real life. Um, you just never know. And every young person in this church, every young person in God's family, they need to know that God loves them for who they are. You see, kids get out of this place and they're told all kinds of stuff in this world. Bullying and pressures. They're told, you're too fat. You're too slow. You're too tall. You're too short. You're too slow. You're too stupid. You wear funny looking clothes. You're, you're such a geek. You're a loser. And that self-image gets pretty wounded out there. But God helping in here that's not what they learn, and not in your homes. 
And we live in a culture that doesn't just bully young people. I sat across the table from Cheryl last night, and of course this is her bailiwick, working with, with the seniors. And I realized, even as I looked online last night at the National Institute of Mental Health, one of the things that's growing all the time now is, is the bullying of senior adults in America. 42% of senior adults say they have been the victim of verbal abuse and humiliation. You're so old. You're too stupid. You're a burden to your family. You're just, you're a waste of space. Why can't you just listen and do what you're told? You're so slow. Why do you have to be so needy? And friends, it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen under this roof, under our roofs at home. And it's important that every senior adult and every young person know their worth in Christ. That it doesn't matter what anybody in this world thinks of you. It matters what God thinks of you. And God thinks you're beautiful. God thinks you're wonderful and worthy of the very life of his one and only begotten son. God sees the great potential in you. God sees the amazing gifts that he's given you. And you need to know that. You've got a place. And you've got an influence in his kingdom. And that's why. I want to end this series on this note. That's why we need to love one another. That's why we need to encourage one another. That's why we need to serve one another. You see, God sees the uniqueness in each of us, and he has brought us, and he has trained us up in the way we are bent together, and he doesn't make mistakes Ephesians 4.16 says, from him, the whole body, the church, it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 1 Corinthians 12.11, all these are the work of the one and same spirit and he distributes each of these to each one just as he determines. And then in verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. You're here. You may have chosen to come. A loved one may have forced you to come. In the grand scheme of things, God wants you here because he's forming us into his spiritual house, each a brick, each a part to play and be exactly what he made us to be. And when we accept and love and appreciate each other, when we recognize we need each other, we are the church of the living God. And we will impact this world with a message that can never be ignored. I'm going to ask you to stay with me this morning. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are wise wiser than I can ever imagine. You never ask for anyone's advice. You never need anyone's counsel because all of your counsel is perfect. And Father, if you say in your word that we are wonderfully made, if you say that we are wired up exactly how you want us to be, that we live with spouses and children, if we work with people, if we worship with people, that are formed exactly how you want them to be, then God, we'll just say thank you. 
will express appreciation and gratitude and we will pray for each other. We will look for ways to lift each other up and encourage each other. And we'll look for people in this world who are dying for a lack of hope, that are dying for a lack of the good news of the gospel and not the putrid and dying word of this world. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning and as they replay the scripts in their mind, somehow they feel that all their life they've been made as a mistake, that they've been told they're too slow, that they, they don't move fast enough, that they don't think fast enough. They've been told that they're imperfect. But Father, you don't create mistakes. You create souls worthy of great love. So Father, help us to respond to that love, to give our very lives to you. You created us and you formed us. We belong to you and we need to respond to that. We need the salvation that you alone can offer us because you know the way we were designed to be in the deep parts of our soul and the sin that we carry, it only masks things. It only destroys and mars the design that you have. And the only way to be rid of it is to feel your touch and your forgiveness that happened on the cross at Calvary, to be washed in the waters of baptism, to be made new, to receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, for those that don't have a church home and, and maybe they've been wandering and, and they come into this place as wounded warriors today, they've believed in you perhaps all their life, but they've never caught the value of a God that knew exactly what he was doing when he created the church. We love the church because you love the church and gave yourself up for it. So help them to choose to belong. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.